The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for the great truth that we just sang about, that you keep us, that it is your power in which we stand, it is your power that upholds us, it's your power that keeps us. We don't keep ourselves, we don't, we don't protect ourselves from all attacks and all threats and all schemes, you do. Thank you. And as we say that, thankful, resting in it, we also acknowledge at the same time that we are people who are thinking people and you have given us minds and and eyes and you want us to be alert and aware. To notice schemes and schemers as they sneak in and attempt to pull us from you. So you keep us, but part of how you keep us is that you make us alert and you make us wise and make us careful. So Lord, along those lines, I ask that this morning you would open up this passage to us and that you would teach us so as to keep us. You would make us a little more alert, a little more astute perhaps to dangers that lie around us. Help us with that. But also, Lord, as as we look at this and and recognize the, the main concern, noticing danger in the church, will will you also make us aware of what lies within us? Not just in the body, but in each of us in our hearts. And teach us for ourselves to alert us to where temptation might want to pull us and how to fight that. So teach this morning, Lord, and build your church and protect it. Secure us in your power. Help us to stand. Trust this to you now and say thank you. Get your word, make it clear. Help us to understand you and walk with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Previously in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we saw the Apostle Paul instructing Timothy, and in fact all of us, about how Christians are to pursue being useful gospel ministers. Depending on our various gifts and circumstances. Some of us are, are what I've called capital M ministers, some, somehow officially in ministry. But, but all of us, every Christian is at least a lowercase m minister. We all, every one of us, called to be servants, ministers of the Lord, carrying his gospel into the church body and then outside the church body to the world. That's, that's all of us. And indeed, chapter 2 pressed upon us that one of the the critical elements that we all must grasp is is a correct understanding and an ability to explain the teaching of the Scriptures. Because that's where the Gospel is. That's that's the message that builds the church and that draws us all to God. So we have to understand the Scriptures and be skillful at explaining them, for sure. However, by the end of chapter 2, we also saw that that's not the most important thing. What's most important in a minister, if we would be useful for and prepared for every good work, it said at the end of verse 21, useful to God, what's most important is the character and the manner of the gospel minister. 
If we want to be useful to God, we have to avoid the pollution of sin in general and in particular pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. Being gentle and patient with those who are around us and disagree and even oppose us. That's what Jesus was like. And that's what servants of Jesus are to be like. His followers are to be like, like him. That's been laid in front of us here in, in chapter 2. But it, it's also been, it's been laid in front of us, but right alongside of some other, maybe a darker contrast. So we're thinking about how, how we be useful ministers, how we be servants of, of Jesus and representatives of Jesus. Right alongside that's been constantly, constantly laid this reality that there are others who are not that. Deliberately so, on purpose. Saw this in chapter 2, chapter 1, all through the book of 1 Timothy. There are people called unfaithful or false teachers or destructive would-be leaders, and they are in and around the church too. Some of them obviously known. Paul named two of them in chapter 2. But some of them are still in kind of stealth mode. Haven't really like surfaced yet and made themselves known. So we have to be aware always that they are around. And that's our subject for this morning as we turn to chapter 3. A similar subject to what we've seen before, but this is not just repeat information. It's, it's maybe a bit like a, a, a twofold reveal. On one hand, revealing what power-hungry, abusive wolves look like while they are still clothed in sheepskin. Wants to make that clear to us so that we can, we can see them. They're, they're hard to detect, but if we look closely, we will see them. Reveals that, and it also then reveals where this comes from. Where these troubling traits come from, and ironically, they come from love. A problem of love. Which is helpful for us to see because, again, the main point is to help us detect a danger that's around us and in our midst. But as we think about it, I, I think this will become actually helpful for each of us personally. Because in its, in its extreme case, what we're going to see here this morning is about a certain small set of dangerous people. But in another sense, because it's human... It's sort of about all of us. It's, it's a temptation. It's, it's a path, a draw that lies in front of all of us. And noting something about where it comes from and thinking about that love that drives it, the problem of love that drives it, will help us keep off that path, walk away from it, not be lured into it. So we're going to look at something here this morning that's, that's about the church and then also about us. That's what we're going to look at this morning in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Let me read the passage, and then I'll draw two observations from it. They are of unequal length. The first one's much longer than the second, if you're getting worried halfway through. It'll be okay, I think. Let me read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Verses 1 to 9. A pretty sobering passage. There, there's, a, there's a lot of a lot of negativity in this passage because this is a negative thing. So we're going to deal with it honestly. And I think as we work into it, we'll see that actually there's something sweet here for Christians too. So here's the first observation. God's kingdom is always troubled by self-loving wolves who seem to be sheep. God's kingdom is always troubled by self-loving wolves who seem to be sheep. So verse 1 begins with a command to understand or, or to know something, that which follows. So what we get here is more than just Paul giving Timothy some information. He, he kind of is more saying something like, wrap your mind around this, understand this, take it in and, and count on it. In the last days, there will be times of difficulty. What does that mean? Let's, let's stop there. That phrase, last days, has some special meaning. If you reach all the way back into the Old Testament, you'll find that language or very closely related language. The last days, looking forward from the Old Testament, was the final stage of salvation history when God would finally intervene to make things right. The day in which he would send his Messiah King who would come, who would reign, who would save and deliver his people, and who would judge all evil and judge those who oppose his people and who oppose him and his truth. So looking forward, that's the hope of the Old Testament for the last days of the end to come. And what wasn't completely clear then, but is clear now, is that the last days is actually a period because Christ comes first to save and second to judge. And the last days is this whole time. It looked like, from the Old Testament, that he comes to save and to judge at the same time. But he's saving now and will come to judge again in the future. The last days, then, is here now. Verse 5 tells Timothy how he should respond to what he's going to find there. But initially, what's puzzling, what needs to be kind of understood and wrapped your mind around and grasped, is that there's an apparent contradiction here. Christ the King has now come. He's established his kingdom. He's sitting on his throne, reigning over his people. And yet, this kingdom has difficulty in it. He's a good, perfect, wise, strong king, but his kingdom has difficulty in it. That's what verse 1 says. In the last days, 
While Christ is reigning, there will be times of difficulty. And we know he's talking about within the kingdom because of how verse 5 finishes off describing this trouble. Look at verse 5. He gives us a description of wolves in sheep's clothing, as the Bible says elsewhere. These people, described in 2, 3, 4, which we'll look at in a moment, they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Literally, they have godliness in form. You might call them formal Christians, or another phrase we use is nominal Christians, Christians in name only. They claim the name Christian, but it's just appearance. Now, of course, some go further than just words. They do have some formal external trappings of Christian practice. And probably, if you think about this, those formal external trappings are going to be matched to whatever the environment is in which they exist. They want to be a, a sheep. They want to look like a sheep and fit in with the flock. So they're going to adopt and take on whatever the local flock does. So they're going to go to church when, where, and how everybody else does around them. And they'll, they'll sit in the pew and they'll close their eyes and bow their heads that's what people do. And they'll put some money in the offering plate and, and nod and smile at the right times in the sermon, if that's what people do. They'll know all the Christian slang of that group. They'll be able to quote some relevant Bible verses. They may even be very personally animated about some particular doctrine or some practice. Again, if that church community and the broader community around it is really fixed on that particular doctrine or that particular practice. Because again, they're going to try, it's, it's stealth mode. So I got to match. I've got to look like the rest of the sheep. They will appear godly at first. But they deny the power of the gospel, not with their words but in reality. They do not truly acknowledge and live trusting in God's supernatural power in Christ to make them new. Really, they believe, I make me new. My practice, my teaching, my effort, that's what brings change. And they do not trust in, lean in, cast all their hope on Christ. They don't actually see everything in that light. They, they are not Christians, but they are among the Christian community. And in case we're not clear about that, it, verse 8 makes it double clear. Corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. They have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power in our midst. And that brings trouble always. Which takes us back to verse 1. Timothy, Christian, church, un understand this. This is the way it is, and it's the way it's supposed to be, according to God's plans. It's nothing's gone wrong. Nothing's gone haywire. God has purpose in this. They will be here, and they will bring trouble. So, so be aware of and be alert to them. 
There's going to be trouble because, verse 2, people are lovers. And notice what follows then, verses 2, 3, and 4, a litany of mostly one-word traits. It's even more pronounced in the original language. It's a very staccato feel to this. These troubling people will be negative word, negative word, negative word, negative word, negative word, 19 times. A machine gun spitting out ugliness and evil. 19 ugly traits. A scathing and boom, 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 relentless indictment. Not that if you read this list, you'd ever find anybody always being all of it all the time. That, that's not possible. People are, people are a spectrum. People are sometimes one way, sometimes another. But it, the whole thing put together is, is a picture of this. This is what this category looks like, and it's pretty shocking. What's he trying to do with this? He's trying to pull back the cloth and show us the claws. Look. Look for this. You'll see it if you're looking. Those who have the appearance of godliness will look godly in the hallway and in the prayer time. But keep looking and look more closely. Look for this stuff. Do you notice pride and arrogance do you detect resistance to proper authority and an unwillingness to be ruled by it? When she's wrong, wronged, is she just flat unappeasable until she gets her pound of flesh? Is he abusive, controlling, demeaning, oppressive? We need to look I mean, you to listen. Listen to others who may be able to speak about different experiences. We might have to listen to a spouse, perhaps, who knows what happens behind closed doors. We may need to listen to a subordinate who's, who's been not the one being kissed up to, but the one beneath and has felt all of this flowing downhill. We look not at the religiosity and not at the knowledge of doctrine and not at the nice clothes and not at the money in the offering plate. We look at this, this list. And in particular, we look at this list and listen to others talk about this list, perhaps, in situations where things didn't go this person's way. Because, and this is very important to see, where does all this come from? Where does this ugly list start and end? What's first and last? Love. Verse 2, people will be self-lovers. Last one, end of verse 4, not a God lover. People will be self-lovers, that is, money lovers, Self-pleasure lovers, not God lovers. Beginning and end, four statements about love. 
Love of self rather than love of God. And what's in the middle is how a person uses circumstances and power to not love one's neighbors, but to take from them to love myself. Love of self and love of pleasure rather than love of God produces all these traits and they will show up when the thing you most love, self, gets thwarted. Look then. Watch out for such ones. Timothy, you're the shepherd of the flock. He's writing to Timothy, the pastor, the leader of this whole congregation. Watch out for such ones. Look for how they use power to love themselves and use circumstances to advance their own cause rather than to love God and love people. Self is at the center of the hearts of such ones, and it will show up. When push comes to shove, they'll put self number one. Watch out for them, and very simple command in verse 5, avoid them. Which does not mean, Timothy, just don't talk to that one. Let him or her carry on in the hallway devouring the sheep. doesn't mean that. Timothy's the leader of the flock. It means these ones that you lead, steer them all clear of such a one. Leave them behind. That may involve many things. It may involve directly confronting such teaching. It may involve actually church discipline and setting one outside of the congregation. It may involve plenty of things. But the point is, avoid, don't join with, don't bring them in, don't let them be a part of, don't let them be in the leadership for sure. Keep a separation. Steer clear of, avoid. Because that eats and kills the flock. You can read all kinds of books about this, but you don't have to read a book about it. You can just imagine. What happens when a wolf gets in amongst a few sheep? Blood, right? Avoid them. That's why he is negative, 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 negative. Not because he's a negative person, but because Paul loves the body and knows that God does too and says, this is death to people. Avoid, divide, keep away from. So we have to note this and watch this and and get this is Paul's main concern here in this letter, in the context. He's talking about threat to the body, wolves in the midst of the flock who look like sheep unless you look closely. And so we have to take that first and, and be real about that and say, watch and listen. And so I wanna I wanna issue a public invitation to say. I and the other elders, we will listen to you if you want to talk. If you, you know someone like this, maybe you're married to someone like this, or you, you've seen someone like this, and, and, or maybe you just wonder if maybe you have, we'll listen. We will. Sometimes... I, I recognize, I know, sometimes it can be very intimidating to say, like, I'm not going to go talk to the pastor. I don't even really know the pastor. And I'm going to bring up this secret from... <sighs> it's important. Please do. We will listen. What's at stake is the protection of the people of God. Maybe even the protection of you yourself. So Paul's concern is that 
we, particularly those who are in leadership, he's talking to Timothy after all, that we be alert, that we be watching, that we be understanding this is around and it always will be until Christ comes. And for the sake of the body, we must be on guard. Okay. And we shouldn't stop there because there's something else I think important for us that if we dial back and and I'm going to invite you to kind of let this come at you dial back some of the vehemence some of the Paul's got no mercy for these people you don't talk nice to the wolves whether you're eating the sheep But let me draw back from that and say, this actually says something to all of us about us. So let let it come to you. Take another pass through this and think about this list again, not just as an extreme description of false teachers who are trying to destroy the flock, preying on people, but realize something else. This is worldliness. This is worldly, fleshly, fallen life. It's human nature. It's the reason for our human difficulties in life. If you follow the connection between verses 1 and 2, there will be times of difficulty for people will be. Why is there difficulty? Because people are like this. Difficulty in the church? Difficulty in life because people are like this, including us. I don't like to think of myself as, let's say, verse 3, brutal. And in some definitions of that word, I'm not brutal. But maybe, maybe with my words, maybe sometimes in my mind, I have been brutal. Didn't Jesus say that we can kill with our minds and kill with our words, not just with our hands. Has anybody ever fairly called you brutal or harsh or mean? What about conceited? Notice the word conceit or the various words of proud and arrogant. Does that fairly describe you? How about rash, lacking self-control? You ever fly off the handle at somebody and let them have it because they deserve it, frankly, and they're not going to get away with that until they make it right. Ever been there? With your words, at least, or maybe just in your mind while smiling. Appearing godly, but worldly on the inside. holding a grudge, implacable, demanding justice. 
Has that ever been you? Let that come to you. This is every broken friendship right here. It's every abuse in marriage. It's every argument on the basketball court and every armed conflict between nations and tribes. The minuscule to the massive. Here in this passage is every offense given and every grudge kept and every insult thought or whispered and every economic exploitation of the weak because I'm going to get more from me. Who cares about them? And every rejection of rightful authority because I'm a law unto my own self and I know best. This is the difficulties of the days that we live in. All right here. The bloodshed and the tears and the pains and the thefts and the shortages and abuses and fears of the world right here because this is what is in people. This is us. And it's a devastating list. And what's most important and in the end helpful for us is to see where does all of that come from? From love. Disordered love. God here lays his finger on our problem, the problem with people, and therefore the problem with all of our struggles and all of life is that our natures, that we in ourselves are lovers of ourselves and not God, driven by the wrong loves towards ourselves, and therefore away from neighbor and away from God. Gravitating towards conflict, not always, just when we're crossed just when we're threatened. It's been that way since the very beginning. It's been that way since the Garden of Eden. And it's still that way today. And that's a problem in our hearts. It's the problem of what we love, of who we love first. The level of desire at the bottom, at the base, at the core, whatever you want to put, you want to put it. What I'm about first and foremost naturally is me. Which would be great if you were all about me too. But you're not. So we will clash. That's going to be a problem. Except there's a hope. There's only one answer to it. It's right here in the passage. You've got to look kind of sideways at it, but you see that the passage, the, the problem is that I'm a lover of self rather than a lover of God. Well, the answer is to become a lover of God rather than a lover of self. How can that happen? Only by the power of God. Only by the power of God brought to us in the gospel itself. power of God at work in and through Christ crucified and risen and reigning. You set that aside and you deny it like these ones did and this is all that you have left. But thanks be to God, we're not going to set that aside and deny it, are we? We're going to actually step into that and embrace it and say, there 
I'm going to embrace that power. And Christian, this, this is the offer. This is the call to you. This is the offer to you. Something so precious and unique delivered to you by God in his gospel is you actually have power to walk away from this list. That means, work it all backwards, that means I actually have power to walk away from the idolatrous, enslaving love of myself. Have you thought about how enslaving it is to love yourself and to be always about yourself all the time? It is so burdensome. But you have power to set that down and walk away from it and actually give your life away to God who secures you and to others whom he loves. What a blessing. You have power from Christ in you to do that. God is so good to give that and then to call you to it, not to just acknowledge it with words or not acknowledge it just in your head, but to actually embrace it and to live repentantly trusting in God's supernatural power to make you new like Christ in humble submission to the only man who did love God and love his neighbor and who used his power to express that love by going to the cross for you. There's the lovely one. May God open your eyes to see this lovely one. Not, not, to, not to be sucked into yourself, but to see this lovely one in power, laying down his life to atone for you and make you new. The power of God can open your eyes to this lover of your soul. And when you get the loves right, what comes out of that is love of neighbor rather than love of self. It's the, it's the pulling out of, that, of the Jenga block at the bottom, you know, the big tower of Jenga. You pull out one of those blocks, the whole thing collapses. You pull out love of self, and all the idolatrous, ugly tower falls. God in his power, may God in his power, reach into you and pull out that block. What I'm talking about is a miracle that God will do for his people. And so what we do is we say, please, this is my need. Will you show me Christ and show me Christ and all of his beauty and all of his loveliness and all of his love for me that is wide and long and high and deep, is eternal and secures me? Will you show me that? I know the doctrine. I'm a Christian. But will you show it to me in a way that is captivating and is heart-changing and makes me new? Christian, take up your scriptures in hand and in prayer. Say, God, show me yourself. I press this on you, and, and I recognize that half of the, I'm pressing this on me too, because half of me says, I need that more than they do. I don't know you, but I know me. I need that, maybe as much as you do, more than you do. This is our need, even in the church. So yeah, this is for sure something we have to watch for and be attentive to and alert to about wolves seeking into the midst to seek to destroy us. But this is humankind, and this lives in me too, and I'm inclined to be drawn that way. God, help me by showing me you and wooing me to you to grow in me love of God and to excise from my heart love of self 
God help me. That's what he wants to do for you, his beloved ones. To show you his glory. Pursue him. Chase after him. And don't stop till you capture him. He's not going to run fast. He wants to be caught. Seek the Lord and he will be found. And he will show himself to you and woo you towards him. And being loved like you see he loves you, you will then love. That's the hope that we have in the gospel. That's the hope that we have for the world in the gospel. Do you realize that when we're preaching the gospel to the world, what we're doing is we're talking about Yes, indeed, we're talking about atonement for your sin, forgiveness for your sin. We're talking about that. And we're also talking about peace in your life, joy in your relationships, community that is whole now and forever. Come and find life. The gospel that we're giving to people is the same that's so beautiful for us. We're inviting people to lean into wholeness and union, a freedom from the enslaving love of self. That's what the gospel's about. We're inviting them to the power of God to make them new. That is good news. And that's exciting to actually be able to talk about. Here's hope. So the first point there, there's always this trouble in the church, watch for it. Particularly, most pointedly, it's in these wolves, but it's also present in all of us, watch for it. And thank God that he's provided deliverance from it. Okay, second, this is shorter. People made strong by gospel grace will be safe from the attack of wolves. It's closely connected, obviously. It's in the same passage. People made safe, made strong by gospel grace will be safe from the attack of wolves. So verse 6 is still tracking on with the alert to the presence of the wolves in the community. And verse 6 essentially says, like what's going on, Timothy, in your very particular situation. And it is, this is so very specific. He even uses the word the when he describes them sneaking into the houses. It's as if Paul knows that Timothy knows which houses he's talking about and which people he's talking about, what's exactly going on. And he creates this image of burglars sliding into a house at night undetected, creeping in. But they haven't come to steal goods, they've come to steal people. They're there to kidnap. To capture Weak women, which is not all women. You can read that and think that he's saying something about all women. No, he's talking about a particular subset of women, and this is negative on purpose. They are weak women. And here's what's weak about them. They are burdened with sin and constantly led astray by various passions. They are under a pile of sin that they cannot break free from, cannot stop committing, cannot resist. Sin dominates their lives, 
and they are constantly pulled this way and that, blown by this wind and that whim, this desire, this want. They no sooner get over that than they're, they're inclined towards something else and they're back and forth chasing everything. Always learning, it says, day after day, the cultural influencers on Twitter, people on the radio, the false teachers who show up at their door, they're constantly telling them things and these women are exploring that and believing that and buying that and going with this and learning and, and, but never able to actually get the truth of the gospel. He probably means for us to, to see them as non-Christians, but they're certainly weak and immature and vulnerable. No grasping of the truth, no freedom from sin, blown about this way and that, drawn by whatever seems attractive. And so those are the ones plucked off and carried away by the wolves, these false teachers. That's what's going on. Well, if that's what's going on there, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, more than just acknowledge the problem, we're supposed to think about it. And think about it like this. A few months ago, I read a news article about a street crime in Chicago. Two guys jumped a young woman on the street. She was walking down the street, clueless, scrolling through her phone. They jumped her, punched her in the head, knocked her down, and a mugger, you know, give me your phone, said one. They're hanging out in the street looking for a vulnerable woman. Well, it so happens that this young woman is a Golden Gloves boxing champion, <laughs> actually on her way to the gym to train. And so she had a mindset and a skill set that her first thought as she reported it, and I'll sanitize this slightly for the pulpit, she said her first thought was, oh, heck no. And she kept her phone. <laughs> Moral of the story, I suppose, is never pick on a boxing champion. If you're a wolf, you want to pick off the strays sick, the immature, and the weak. That's who the spiritual wolves are after. What protected her? She wasn't weak. She looked like it, perhaps, probably the way they attacked her, but she had a skill set and a mindset that when she saw that and, and encountered it, met it, unbeknownst to her, was surprised by it, her first thought was, oh, no, 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 no. That, that's not what's going to happen here. That's the point of 8 and especially verse 9. There will always be people around who oppose the truth. Just like these, these two men were the two Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses. Read about this back in the story in Exodus. And at first, it looks like perhaps, yeah, Pharaoh brought these two magicians in to, to copy the, the magic acts of Moses. Look, we've, we've got good truth. We've got good power too. And then Moses' staff ate their staff. 
And those with discernment said, oh, no, 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 that's not what's going uh-huh, I get it, I see. And people will see. They will not get very far because it will be plain to all. Plain to all those who have eyes to see. Plain to those who are not, in fact, weak, but have a mindset and a skill set to sniff out folly. Who are alert and observant. Who are strong in the grace of the gospel. So what we do, what our job is, how we interact with these verses and and then apply them is we say, sure, they're coming after weak women, so let's make strong. Let's help people be unburdened by sin. Let's preach the gospel to them. And let's, let's press on them and pray into them what is actually true and protect them by by coming around them, protect them from the draw and the wandering and the whims of the world. As I bring God in the gospel to myself, and then as I help others and bring God in the gospel to others, what happens is that our hearts actually get filled and our thirsts actually get quenched and the truth actually comes to us and resonates with us. You can talk to a a blind person in a dark room, you can debate with them about where the couch is unless they're sitting on the couch. Right? If we're walking around here all with our eyes closed in the dark trying to find the couch, the only person who cannot be moved is the one on the couch. We want to set people firmly, seat them in God and fill up their hearts with what's true and satisfy their hungers and quench their thirsts with the actual grace of God that brings life. We protect the flock and we protect ourselves by watching, yeah, watching those who might be here to pray. But we also protect the flock by inoculating it, by making it strong, by seeding it in Christ. Less than, less than, by focusing inordinately on don't be brutal, don't slander, grow in self-control. Not that we shouldn't ever talk about those things. Less than. We talk about those things less than and lift up to more than. Lift up, this is the God who has loved us in Christ. Behold your God, see him. We preach that to ourselves. Preach that to yourself. Preach it to your family. Preach it to your neighbor. Preach it to your friends. That's what makes us strong and new and safe. The grace of God come to us in Christ. This is why any church, and I hope our church, must say we are going to stand on and proclaim the gospel to ourselves. Not the behaviors of the Christian life, the gospel, first and foremost. There's where we see the loveliness of God. There's where we see the promises of God. There's where we see the grace of God for us. There's where we are changed and made new and drawn on to love him. We want to say we center on the gospel first and preach that to ourselves to make us strong and new and safe. May God so meet us 
and bless and feed us and protect us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the warning. Probably, as happens often with warnings, we don't recognize our need for them until later. So in faith, I say thank you for the warning. But I also want to pray, Lord, will you help us to deal carefully and realistically with ourselves in light of this list? And will you draw us on to love you and to, to sit secure in the grace that you give us in Christ? Show that to us, Lord. Woo us, please. Do that supernatural work of inclining us to you to love you. Please do that. And so doing, build your church. Draw in those who are still on the outside and need relief. Make them aware of their need and show them the beauty of yourself. Build your church, protect it, carry it home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.